0: Kristen. There'll be no ghosting here. None.
1: <laughs> <laughs> good. Good. Well, I started to panic because I was like going through making sure I was prepped and ready for everything. And I saw where it said, okay, the link will be in the calendar invite. And I'm like, I'm losing my mind. I'm like, I don't want to think I'm not going to show up. So uh, I just wanted to make sure.
0: No, that's great. You care. I mean, that's amazing uh, for that. And I normally always have it in there. I'm, and I looked, I was like, it's definitely not in there. <laughs> it's definitely
1: we all have those moments, right?
0: Um, uh, I'm not perfect, okay. <laughs> None of us are.
1: None of us are.
0: Oh, how's your day going?
1: Not bad, not bad. Busy. How about yourself?
0: Uh, pretty busy, but in a in, in a very positive way. I just yeah, I get to speak to people and work with them all day long, and and I just enjoy it. It's really nice. That's so, nice.
1: It, it yeah. makes a big difference when you like what you're doing.
0: <laughs> it's definitely better than the opposite, right?
1: Absolutely. And I think you can only really appreciate that when you've had to be somebody who's had to do stuff you don't enjoy versus when you do get to enjoy the things that you do.
0: Isn't that funny, though? Like, you kind of have to experience uh, a negative situation like that in order to appreciate the positive things many times in life, you know, if it's always like bad, or it's always just good, what's the perspective, you know?
1: I agree. Actually, I was talking to my son about that last night, I was saying that, you know, sometimes we have things that happen in life, that. Are not great and you know we don't enjoy them but not only are they an opportunity for growth and learning but they're what allow us to really appreciate the wonderful things that happen or else we would just think everything was normal and meant to be that way
0: yeah exactly how does this if it does fit into the work that you do i'm curious about the work that you do i said i came across your whole deal. i was like whoa i, I gotta talk to this person i have to just there's a feeling here. I gotta, I gotta explore this. Yeah.
1: No, I I appreciate that. So actually I think that fits a lot into the work that I do. So my background is, let me even bring it back further than that. So I started off life in communications. I thought I was going to be on the radio. That was going to be my thing. And then I had an opportunity to go back to school when I first got out of college, uh, free master's degree at Johns Hopkins. So I was like, oh, I I can turn that, that down. And it was in special education. So I went into special education and I loved being a special educator. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that I hated school when I was a student. Like I did not like it. I did not enjoy it. Um, I come to find out many years later that I was one of those ADHD females who fell into that category of not ever being diagnosed, not even knowing that I was even remotely having ADHD until I was Thirty years old, and I can remember talking to the doctor, and them asking, "Do you think you're ADHD?" And I'm like, "Well, yeah, I'm a special ed teacher. I'm like, probably." She's like, "Let's do some rating scales and find out." And I did, and she goes, "You're not a little bit <laughs> ADHD. There's like a lot of bit of ADHD happening." Yeah. So, I think that's what made me love being a special ed teacher was because I could relate to a lot of what my students were experiencing. And then fast forward years later, I had the opportunity to kind of step up. Above just being a a classroom special education teacher and create a a program for students and I really was thinking okay what do I feel like is the biggest piece that's missing right now as far as what's out there for students and it was mental health and education there really wasn't a program for your internalizing type of students there's a lot of stuff out there for externalizers they're kind of the squeaky wheel right but not internalizing students and so that is kind of where I started to align with that mental health piece and those ideas that I just told you, kind of really trying to help students see that sometimes these things are happening to us. Sometimes these are our challenges that we face in life, but they help us grow. They allow us to expand who we are as an individual, and they allow us to appreciate some of the better things in life. And I think that's when I started to kind of really start to put those pieces together for mental health.
0: All right, so this, this actually made me think of a question. I, I literally have no clue what I'm going to say on these things. I just like, somebody says something, yeah. I'm like, okay, just let it flow. What's the delineation between someone being very anxious versus this is just a bad day? Like, mm-hmm. the, because I feel like sometimes there's this, we kind of go overboard and say, okay, well, sometimes bad things or not having a great day is just not a great day. It's not that like you're have this massive anxiety and this diagnosis like what's is there a line for that that you're seeing, or do you see that we're pushing beyond that and maybe it's like trying to have this diagnosis when maybe it's just a bad day
1: i think there is a line i think the line is am i feeling this way every single day Mm -hmm. and sometimes i feel like especially with anxiety There's those feelings of anxiety or panic, and you have to stop and think, why am I even feeling this way? What what is causing this? And sometimes you don't even have a great reason for what the cause of it is. It's like you've been stuck in that fight or flight for so long that that's what's causing those those anxiety feelings so that even when things are peaceful and you would think that's your time to kind of get out of fight or flight, your body is still trying, your brain is still trying to protect you and say, no, 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 no. This is, this is where we have to stay because we're protected when we're, we're in this state. And I think that's kind of your chronic all the time anxiety versus a bad day is you might feel panicky, you might feel anxious, but you know you're going to get through whatever the issue is that you're dealing with because you know what the issue is that's causing yeah. it, and then you deal with it, and then you can move on. And I think that's kind of the line between having a diagnosis of chronic anxiety versus I'm having a bad day. So you might have, it's like having a glimpse, but not Mm. necessarily staying.
0: Yeah. What's the parent's role you think in educating a child about this, especially if the parents have chronic anxiety?
1: You know, I think that's a really great question because you don't know what you don't know. Right. And one of the biggest things. And I promise I'm gonna circle back around and answer your question. But one of the biggest things with teachers is they don't know what mental health looks like. And so most of the time they don't recognize it in students and they don't know how to best support students because they themselves are not aware of mental health, what it looks like. Uh, Sometimes their, their opinions or their personal biases that have stemmed from media or just experiences in their lives. And I say that because I think parents can fall into that category too. I think there are probably a lot of parents who do have anxiety or suffer from anxiety, but maybe there's still that generation where you don't go and seek help or you, it's not a thing, or I can deal with this on my own type of thing. And so they're not necessarily giving their kids the support tools that they need. And, And I'm not saying that in a malicious way, you don't know what you don't know. So if you're not even recognizing that the way that you react to things or the fact that you you have a lower frustration tolerance is really stemming from the fact that you're dealing with anxiety yourself, then you're not really in a position to then help your kids navigate when they're going through anxiety or dealing with things. Because your kids probably are absorbing a lot of what they're seeing from yeah. you as a parent, how you're projecting your coping skills. That's why there's a lot of what's called generational trauma and so I'll give you an example you could have go back like three generations somebody's grandfather and maybe that person had some significant mental health needs and the way that they parented was really harsh and maybe even borderline abusive or aggressive right and their child did not necessarily have the same mental health needs but that child learned how to parent from that parent so then that child grows up and has a child. And again, parents the same way that their parent who had a mental health need parented, and it just keeps getting passed down. So generations later, you may not even have that mental health need that's present, but parenting style is still there because you're learning and you're observing from how your parents parent. And it stemmed from three generations ago of somebody who had unaddressed mental health needs, but you're still actually dealing, dealing with it three to five generations later.
0: It makes a lot of sense.
1: And stuff like that, that it's crazy to me when you think about it, but it, it makes sense because we are observers, right? We're observing our environment. We're learning from those who are around us. And our parents are typically the first individuals that we're observing and learning how to be parents or adults from um I catch myself all the time saying stuff to my kids and I'm like oh my god that was my mom that was my dad you know what (laughs) I
0: mean
1: and you don't even think about it because those were just the examples that you had
0: yeah I think parenting is pretty weird I'm have a 10 year old daughter I think (laughs) it's a strange journey because oh yeah like the entry point well for some people becoming a parent can be very difficult you know about fertility issues and things but then Mm -hmm the actual aspect of parenting is actually really crazy because it's not like there's a lot of standards to it. And it's yeah. like you basically can, anybody can enter into it. And, uh, and you people often bring a tremendous amount of baggage or personal hangup into raising another human. Absolutely. And then you add in uh, this wave of mental health, the kind of the emergence of us better understanding that Uh it feels it's can be daunting, feels daunting Mm in many times. But I don't think we talk about it enough in a very and like it can be overwhelming.
1: Oh absolutely. There's no there's no manual, right? You don't get to leave the hospital with a manual. And everybody does have their own parenting qualms, you know, cause again, mm-hmm. we're, we're using what we were shown as children yeah. and now we're applying it. And we also have our own biases, right? Every mm-hmm. single person in this entire world has their own set of personal biases, conscious or subconscious, and we're applying them. And, you know, I think you see a lot of conflict and you have parents who feel like I should be very open with my kids. I'm going to be mm-hmm. transparent, even though they're eight, I'm going to tell them everything. They, yeah. they have the right <laughs> to know. And then you have people who go, ah, I don't know if eight is psychologically ready to handle some of these concepts so I'm gonna hold off on giving some of these details and I'm not saying that either one of those styles is right or wrong you know I think you need to know your kid it's you know what your personal beliefs are but then definitely there's some conflict when those two children are sitting in a classroom together right and this kid is sharing concepts that this one kid is like hasn't been prepped for hasn't you know that's not part of their dynamics in their family and i, I think that's where sometimes you see dynamics or a kid yeah, comes home that, scarred because now they know um details about santa claus that they for, weren't ready. Yeah. <laughs> like, like that that kind of thing it's like yeah. we all need to get together every now and then as parents have like the conversation about where we stand you know what are we sharing what are we not sharing yeah, <laughs> but, no, it's interesting. Um, But it makes for a very complex type of situation. It
0: does. It does. I have several questions. Uh, Let's start with this one. So what's the current state of mental health in our country and your point of view? And what do we know neurologically about what's happening with mental health currently in our society?
1: Sure. So I'll actually give you some facts from from NAMI, the, the National Institute for Mental Health and you have ages six to 17 one in six children have a mental health needs or will will experience signs or symptoms so that's a lot if you think one in six and what does that mean
0: a mental health need what is that class so that could
1: be anywhere from i have anxiety i have depression um maybe i have a learning disability that then makes me have anxiety or depression. Um, It could be anywhere from having bipolar. It could be becoming schizophrenic, usually closer to that 17, 18 range. I mean, there's such a spectrum of what mental health needs can look like, how they can manifest, um, how they could come up. You could have a student who is genetically predisposed and maybe they have a great life and nothing ever triggers it, or they have a traumatic event and then it is triggered. Um, it could be something that has always been there, is going to come out no matter what. It could be somebody who isn't predisposed to having mental health needs, but then does have a traumatic event and has difficulty processing it. So mental health really, to me, is something that nobody is, I don't want to say safe from, but there's nobody who is going to, you can't hide. If, if it's something that you're going to experience in your life, you're going to go through and you're like, mental health can find you. It doesn't matter your age, your gender, your race, like mental health is not biased. Uh, it, it will show up if there is, is a need for it. If it and usually it's, it's something that's happening neurologically that is either unresolved, an unresolved issue that has happened neurologically or something that your brain is attempting to save you. I mean, that's really what anxiety is. If you think mm-hmm. about it, your brain's primary job is to survive. It, it wants you to survive. And that is what its primary focus is on. And that's why change is scary and difficult for a lot of people, because your brain knows that even if you are not happy, at least what you're the setting you're in right now, you're alive. And that's all your brain cares about. Yeah. You're alive. So change is so super, super scary. So that's why you get those anxiety messages from your brain. Like, is that going to be smart? Is that a good idea? Should I do that? Because your brain wants you to just stay alive, stay in the, it isn't, I don't care that you're unhappy, just stay where you are because you're alive. That's my primary focus. Right. And mental health for a lot of people, I think there's so many things, so many things. I mean, we could probably just create a podcast on, on the rabbit holes. We could go down on what is contributing to mental health, but. I think the state of mental health has definitely um, deteriorated Has uh, in- you're seeing more and more mental health. And I think there's a lot of factors. Mental health is not this new concept that came up because of the pandemic, but I think <laughs> the pandemic definitely exacerbated it, right? There are already people who are dealing with things and this has definitely increased it. And then I think there's opportunity. I'm seeing a lot of really young children Mm. who most parents reported to me prior to the pandemic they were okay or they were doing well and then the pandemic hit so I think it's interrupted a lot of social skill learning a lot of social abilities a lot of peer interactions I think that we are much more aware of mental health now so I think there are times where I hate to say this, but you know, sometimes not everyone, but some people, oh, it's, it's a cool hip thing. I have this, this need, or "I, I need to be seen this kind of way. And so I think you have a little bit of that. That's obviously not the mass majority of people, but there's a level of awareness, which is great because for a long time, there was a lot of stigma around it. And I feel like there still is, but a lot more conversation is happening. A lot more people are talking about it and bringing it to the light, which is important, especially um, big figures like Simone Biles and, and with gymnastics. Like, I think that that was a really big thing for other, for other young adults who are struggling to see a peer in, in a prominent position, be open and honest and, and share, hey, I'm struggling too. So I think that's a thing. I think you know, media—we're so informed, way more informed than we've ever been in history, in society, of just seeing how people are living their lives. And most of the time, we only post our best stuff on social Correct. media, right? Yeah.
0: So how do you know how people are living their lives? It's always the best version of it, you know?
1: Right. And then we start to compare, like, oh, where am I failing? Where am I? You know, that person is always in the Bahamas and is always doing great and is great. <laughs> why am I failing and not able to to do these things? So I think there's just so many things, so many things that it's, there's not just one thing that is creating this mental health pandemic, essentially. Uh, I think that there's a lot of different factors. And I think a lot of them are individualized and Sometimes, you know, it's a car accident. Sometimes it's a sexual abuse. Sometimes it's a loss of a loved one. Sometimes it's an undiagnosed learning disability that you went through years of your life not knowing you had. So I think there's just so many rabbit holes that could go down to it, but we're, we're very much more aware of our feelings and emotions. And I think we're attuned. Stuff like TikTok has made us more attuned to that, oh, I'm not alone. Other people have these quirks to or experiencing these things as well.
0: It's interesting. Let's stay on this a little bit. There's a pretty large article that came out today about research related to uh, the deteriorating mental health of adolescents in relation to social media. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts about that?
1: I, you know, it's funny. I'm one of those people who, who can always see both sides of an argument and there's aspects of social media that I really, really like. I like that communities like TikTok have allowed for people to share uh, things about themselves, you know, like quirks or qualms that maybe they always had felt alone in. And now people are go, no, me too. I, I, I have that weird thing too. And then there's this level of, I'm not so alone anymore. Other people are experiencing these too. Oh, I have a community of people who understand me after years of feeling isolated and, and and not understood. But then I think on the flip side, it goes back to what we were just saying, right? There, There's aspects of, ment- uh, of social media that shows only certain aspects of your life, right? All the times that I'm going to the Bahamas or this award that I won or, and it almost paints this unrealistic view of life. I also worry sometimes too, I have I have young children and they're really into some of the YouTube stars, right? Who do these stupid like 24 hour challenge, we're gonna do this and we're gonna, and, and I'm, and then you, next thing you know, you're like, the, they're millionaires, these like 20 something year olds mm-hmm. with, and you know what, part of me is like good for them, like yeah. <laughs> kind of jealous. I wish I had, had thought of these things, but part of me is also like, What's going to happen in ten years? You know, if yeah. when this fat this fat is done, when you're thirty and maybe you're not as hip and as cool <laughs> anymore in young people's eyes, what happens then? What skill set do you have? Uh, what is what is messages is this giving to youth? And and I don't know that I have answers to these questions, but more <laughs> Why so not? that
0: I know <laughs> right. Come on.
1: But but more so that I just have concerns. In yeah. general, of, of what this is setting us up, you have people who use social media to be influencers, right? But even even influencing isn't always natural. You can buy your likes, you can buy your viewers, you can um, rent out a fake air private airplane and and do a photo shoot there, right? So you're you're essentially selling a false reality and I think in selling false realities that's where the detriment comes as you have youth being like this is so cool and and I want to I want to be that and I want to become that but what they don't realize is they're chasing something that doesn't actually exist right. yeah and so I feel like there really is two sides to that point I think there's a lot of positive and where you can find communities and connection, so that 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 lonely piece that can sometimes come with mental health or neurodiversity can be diminished, but it also is creating this unrealistic expectation. It's having kids focus and chase things that are not realistic. Uh, and I and I do have concerns for what that means. And I and I think you'll find there's a great documentary actually about social media and kind of going about it the fake way. And this director had hired like three or four young people to kind of make into influencers. Yeah, Did you see that documentary? It. Yeah. It, was it was a sad, great actually. documentary, yeah. it, it, but it showed that I think what of the four kids, only one, only yeah. one actually like made yeah. it all the way through the experiment yeah. or whatever you, you want to call it. The rest felt like the pressure was too much. They felt yeah. like, the comments that you get from the trolls and the social media was really eating at their mental health and making them feel suicidal at, at times. So it showed this flip side of being what an influencer is, is not only do you get these perks of maybe a great restaurant or a seat on an airplane, but you have a lot of people who are then going to kind of pour their own judgment and issues on you. And if you're not really solid with who you are, that's going to be something that's going to really tear at you and create other psychological issues.
0: Well, one of the things uh, I do think that, you know, I'm 44. I actually like the internet, how it used to be when there wasn't algorithms and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's funny how like some of these companies are like, yeah, we're going to limit this. I'm like, Oh, how it was, you mean, how it used to be (laughs) like when you're just like, you weren't persuaded by other things. But one of the things we're seeing uh, a lot of research, Discussing how social media and any just smartphones and stuff is decreasing sleep in adolescents. So where adolescents have less sleep than now they've ever had.
1: Absolutely, I saw that.
0: Horrible, horrible.
1: I saw that when I was in the classroom. You'd have kids who were tired, and you'd come to find out is because they were three a.m. texting with their friends. And there's a big movement. I've I've worked with several parents at this point about something. That I don't feel, I feel like it would be really common knowledge, and you would think at this point that there'd be more on it, but technology addiction. And, and it's funny because there are these kids who very much have a technology addiction like their phone has to be like on their person it almost becomes like a a a blankie or a worry stone like
0: digital prosthesis yeah yeah yeah, like they
1: have to have it it's very like panicky and some of it there's a couple factors there is dopamine seeking you know Mm -hmm. they might be adhd and the dopamine that they're getting from it is flooding their brain and so they're dopamine seeking it And then other ones, it could be an anxiety or an insecurity or this need to feel connected. But the funny thing is, is so you'll have these kids with really intense technology needs, but yet in the classroom, you're you're told as a teacher to push technology, to Mm -hmm. use technology. And there used to be really strict, like cell phone policies in high school. Like you you can't have your cell phone. It needs to be in the locker. You, You know, we're not touching it during the day. But now they've had to get so laxed with it that now that the technology is the way that it is, kids are like, yeah, bring your cell phone and we might access this app so that we can play this game on the board and you can submit your answer using your phone. And on one hand, I get it. They're trying to integrate those technology pieces into learning, but on the other hand, you're really starting to feed, you're really feeding that technology addiction for some kids whose parents are calling me, like, well, What do I do? I need to limit how much screen or access they have to their phone. But then they call me because the teacher says, Get out your phone because we're going to play this game and you need to download this app and you need to have access to it. And what do I do with my kid? And I feel like those are some great questions. What do you do? <laughs>
0: I'm telling you right now, I have a very definite plan with my daughter. (laughs) My daughter doesn't have a phone. She's 10. She's not getting one to eighth grade, but I told her already that that you will be checking this phone in and out before Mm -hmm. bedtime. So a lot of parents, they allow their kids to just stay up all times. And so one, it starts with poor sleep hygiene for your children initially, and then allowing your children to have phones in their room at night. You know, they're not going to go to sleep. They're getting that constant blue light. And there's going to be texting you know what that's called parenting you have to put your foot down and say i you will check this back out in the morning time because you're it's like parents don't understand this idea you have to step up and you have to be tough you have to be tough about because they're they're little they're adults can't handle the technology addiction you think kids can
1: come on and it only gets worse and for most of my time in the classroom i was at the high school level. So I mainly was doing, dealing yeah. with the big kids at that point. And yep. the message I would give to parents now is you've got to establish that, that boundary that you just spoke up now, now, because it's only going to get harder as they get bigger. But I can't tell you how many times i I've, I'll give you, this is a true example where a parent came into me upset that their kid was on their computer all night long and wasn't doing what they said. And I said, I can solve this problem for you really <laughs> easily. You tell them, I'm taking the computer. The computer is mine. When it's time to go off to bed, I will have the computer. And the parent goes, I can't do that. Do you know what, what? kind of issue that's gonna cause for me at home? What kind of fight that's going to create? And I'm like, "Uh, I don't, do, you, do you care? Cause I wouldn't care. My kid can yell and Who be cares? mad at me all, all they want. Like they need to not be on their computer. I'm the adult. I probably paid for that computer. You
0: own that computer. That's your I'm, property.
1: <laughs> to but and that's I'd love to tell you that that is just one time that I have dealt with that but that's not that was a very common thing that I dealt with often where parents would say I'm having this issue what do I do and I go okay so take it take it. I can't do that you don't know the issue that's going to create
0: that's insane to me that's like that's so see maybe it's like my bias is I grew up My mother, I had a bedtime until I was a senior in high school. that bedtime Mm -hmm. was like 9 p.m. Like when Mm -hmm. I was like 17, Mm -hmm. I I couldn't stand it. My mom did this. But I'm so glad she did because she protected our sleep Mm -hmm. completely because she wanted us to be alert and ready to go in the morning. This was way before any of this was like a big deal in society. I have continued that with my daughter. And now I'm armed with all the information. My mom didn't have that information. She was just going off her gut Mm -hmm. about it. this is, this is a crossroads of parenting we're at on some level that our children, we're almost afraid of our children
1: mm-hmm. on
0: some level that we're, ups, we're afraid that they'll be upset and think that we're not good parents. Yeah. One for me is I don't care about that. That's <laughs> not my job to be liked and be in like that I'm the greatest parent. My job is to raise a good person and provide a platform for them to excel because they're going to be adults at some point for Absolutely. that. I just don't understand this like, I need to be, I need to feel validated by my child. And so I'm going to let you do really unhealthy stuff for you.
1: I have, I read a really great book and I'm blanking on the name of it. Uh, Gosh, I can see the picture of it, but I'll give you the the general concept of it. And it talks about this Mm -hmm. because this seems to be a newer generational issue and it looked at current parents, a lot of current parents, I would say, I would say Gen X to you know elder millennial type mm-hmm. of parents is, is that time frame. And and it it looked at for whatever reason our generations seem to be much more attuned with the feelings that we had when we were kids. Like we remember feeling left out. We remember feeling isolated or bad. Seems more so than maybe then like the boomer generation felt or at least acknowledged, right? And it seems like one of the biggest things that, that this book was saying is that because we remember those feelings, we have done everything that we can to almost attempt to try and prevent our children from having to have those feelings. And Mm -hmm. and you can apply that to like, everybody gets a trophy, everybody's a winner type of situation. But we did that because we remember feeling so bad that we wanted to prevent our children from having to have those feelings as well. And then what this book went on to share in its study is that then these kids become college age kids they go off to college and one of the first lessons they realize is they're not the greatest thing ever anymore. Like they had gone all the way to 18 years (laughs) old thinking that they were like the number one all-star and now they're not. And they have a really hard time with that identity piece because of it. And then two, they'll hit like a, you know, very normal kind of, you know, early, late teen, early twenties angst of of a breakup, right? You had maybe your first serious relationship and you break up. And it sucked, like we've all been there, right? It sucks. It doesn't feel good. You know, everyone's like time, time will heal all. And you're like, no, how will I ever go on (laughs) permanent? (laughs) Right. And and it hurt, but the difference was between it just, you know, not being great and hurting was these kids like couldn't deal with it, like couldn't to the point of like committing suicide because they literally couldn't deal with that, that impact in their life because ultimately what it led to is we prevented so much of them having to deal with any of those painful type of experiences growing up that they had zero resiliency zero perseverance we ended up doing more harm and were more detrimental to their growth and development it didn't actually protect them from having these feelings that didn't feel great growing up it actually made it so that they were not able to persevere or be resilient to any type of setback. And I mean unfortunately anybody who, you know, I would say is 35 or older knows that like in life you're going to ha- you're going to have a- it's a roller coaster. <laughs> if, if you get to go through life just on the up or even on the straight then you have lived a very privileged life because yeah. most people are doing a roller coaster ride yeah. and you're going to have to be able to figure out when you're at that low peak how are you How are you going to deal with it? How are you going to move on? How are you going to pick yourself up? And how are you yeah. going to get yourself back onto the top of that hill again? And these kids just didn't have that skill set because they were prevented from ever having to start forming those types of habits or those uh, skills when they were younger because their parents prevented it.
0: Yeah. I mean, if your life is just up all the time, you have very low life intelligence. You really do. Like there's no, the first Trauma that comes in is going to destroy your existence. It's just going mm-hmm. to be like a oh, meteor sized disruption that you may have a hard time coming back from. I really actually think a lot of this comes back to parenting. I really do. And that we have to be, we're not addressing this parenting gap. You know, we address this education gap of kids and with COVID and all this stuff, but we're not addressing the parenting gap, I think, enough. And that a lot of parents in this time, they just want to make their kids happy. And mm-hmm. they think they, by doing that is just giving them whatever they want and shielding them from failure. Yep. All that, which is complete trash, in my opinion. And I just don't think the job is for you to have your kids like like you a bunch. Like there's love. If you're love, I'm a big proponent of love and accountability. Give your mm-hmm. child a lot of love, but also be accountable. When they don't do well, you need to tell them they didn't do well. And when they do great, tell them they did great.
1: Absolutely. You gotta have
0: boundaries. Children crave
1: boundaries. Oh, 100% structure, <laughs> like, 100% yes. they do. They and, and they push those boundaries, but that's yes. part of the learning process for them as well. But they're pushing those boundaries, but they also know that they feel safe when you give exactly. them that structure. It's creating those feelings of safe, and they need to know where the limitations are. That's just part of your developmental yes. process but you need it to know that this is the lines that keep me secure, that this is what keeps me safe. And that's one of your core needs in order to be able to learn to grow is that feeling of safety. When, when students, young people don't feel safe, that is essentially impacting some of that survival aspect that's going on neurologically for them. So feeling safe is critical and boundaries and structure help create that feeling of safe.
0: So what do you think, as we kind of roll towards the end here, what's the future of mental health and how we handle it as a society now that it's, uh, it's always been there, but uh, as it has emerged more in a mainstream consciousness of, mm. of people?
1: I think that's a great question. And I wish I had this brilliant answer for you, but I think the, the biggest piece is more just being open and mm. transparent and having conversations and hearing people's perspectives and knowing that it's okay to agree to disagree and 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 saying just because you feel that way doesn't mean I have to feel that way and allowing there to be more balance. I feel like for whatever reason right now, societally, where our balance is often a create. I think that creates a big mental health piece for us. It's like we're constantly all fighting with each other because yeah. our opinion has to be the the opinion instead of embracing the fact that we're all coming at things from different perspectives because we've had different experiences and in taking the time to hear other people's perspectives to go oh I hadn't thought about that before to transform our thinking based on what we're learning from others and being open to things like that I think that would help our mental health. I think as long as we keep this like heels dug in, I, la, 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 I can't hear you. If you don't agree <laughs> with me, you don't know I mean. you're a bad person. If you don't agree with me, like that's got to go out the window because I think we no. are impacting our mental health by taking everything that's going on in the world. From that perspective, we're not doing ourselves any favors by not being open to hear each other, to learn from each other. Um, So I feel like a step in mental health is just keep talking about it, be open about your experiences. Let's stop the stigma that if you have experienced mental health or if you've had anything happen to you in your lifetime that you're damaged, you're not. People who, everybody is dealing with mental health either openly or not openly. But I think one way to start addressing it is just by us all being more transparent and more supportive of one another and, and taking the time to acknowledge that we all are on our own unique path with our own unique experiences.
0: Well said. Well said. Well, Kristen, this has been uh, really beautiful. I mean, I think it, parenting, especially in mental health, I think is something that most people can identify with. And uh, I think is very powerful. So. Oh, yeah. I think it would be universally I- good for people to hear this, especially parents. Cause it's, I really strongly feel about this. I was like, like when you said that you told parents that, and they said, I can't do that. There's something, mm-hmm. there's something majorly off about that right there, because how I grew up, like no parent thought that way. I'm serious. None of my friends' parents ever thought like that. Yeah. They were like, Hey, this is mm-hmm. gone. Like, and my when I was growing up, it was all like, "Listen, I own that car. I own this computer. Mm-hmm. Actually,
1: everything you have,
0: I bought it. Mm-hmm. You don't own this.
1: <laughs> and That so, was be very clear to you,
0: very clear
1: as well. And even if it was something that you could get away, like, but I bought this with my yeah, money for my yeah. job. But it's in my house. It's you know, in I mean? my like, house, so though. Like, yeah, yeah. Something, something to to come back there and. I think just to sum it up real quick, I think one thing that it hit me one day when I, I'm a university professor as well. Uh, and, and it hit me one day as I was talking about communications with students. Think about it. When you were going to call someone and ask them to go to homecoming with you yeah. or prom, or even just you were calling a friend's house, right? Maybe it's not even you were asking to go on a date. You're just calling a friend. What was the procedure and process?
0: For <laughs> remember like remember that Remember you had to like, well, it wasn't cell phones for back nope. then, and you had like the dial. Sometimes you still had the ring; had the ring around. Remember the, yep. like, the, brrr, the rotary
1: phone? Rotary
0: phone, mm-hmm. right? And then maybe it was like busy. It's a busy signal.
1: So, you so sometimes you'd have to call back. But call who back? usually answered the you phone? You got
0: the parent would answer the phone or somebody, right? So
1: right. you would usually have to have some kind of "Hello, sir." It, it, it's, yeah. it's, is Darian available? Can I please speak with you? You had to have like an adult exchange or interaction where you had to be respectful and polite in order to be able to get on the phone with your friend. Right. Yeah. That's why would that ever happen now? (laughs) No, they all have their own phones or cell phones. If they're even calling each other, they're probably texting each other. So there's a communication piece too. And and you can look at how this factors in in so many different ways, right? But there's a communication breakdown that has happened rapidly. If you think about it in just the last 20 years of how we just communicate, and we have started to decrease how we even communicate. And there's been rise in social anxiety and anxiety, yeah. right? But we don't have to do some of the same skill sets that yeah. we used to have to do that almost made you subconsciously have to step out of your, your comfort zone. At times, right? I hate talking on the phone now. Like I don't enjoy <laughs> talking on the phone, but when I was a teenager, you couldn't have gotten me off of the phone. All I wanted to do was talk. Yep. So you do kind of lose some of that drive and that skill when you don't have to use it like you used to.
0: Oh my gosh. I know so many people that say exactly what you just said. And I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like, this is like all you wanted to do in the past. Mm-hmm. And this is mm-hmm. this weird erosion. Yeah, that's why I love doing this podcast and stuff, because I get to talk on the phone with people, but now I get to see them at -hmm. the same time. And like, I actually had to teach my daughter how to talk to people. So we actually, I'll do like a phone call with her in another room Mm -hmm. on my wife's phone. Mm -hmm. And I'll teach her how to have a conversation because it's so foreign to them to talk and actually have a back and forth. My business Mm -hmm. partner had to do the same thing with his daughter 16, teach her how to have a conversation. Whereas you and I grew up, we learned that on our own because we were talking to each other.
1: Oh, absolutely! Right? We didn't need if our if parents I wasn't, to do that, right? Or I was at my mom's office, and yeah. during the summer, and it was like, "You're answering phones today." You're so answering we began,
0: phones, right? Yeah.
1: And and so you just naturally got that skill set of communication and that just doesn't exist anymore, and there really isn't there isn't these cut out places for it to happen anymore. Yeah. Um, I used to be really close with my friends' parents growing up, and most yeah, kids too. barely know their friends' parents <laughs> because they don't have to have those same type of interactions that they once did. That's
0: so true. I was the same way. I knew all my friends' parents, and we would mm-hmm. chat and stuff, and now it's it's not a thing, man. No. You know, it's it's actually sad on some level. I think there's a lot of great things to moving forward, and but you also trade off other things too. Absolutely. Some of these old things I think are really valuable to, t- to still maintain humanity is always going to talk to each other on some level. And I think yes. we really need to sharpen that skill in our children. And honestly, and adults too need to sharpen that skill. Seriously. 100%. <laughs> I mean, so, Oh, Kristen, thank you so much for your yeah. time. I mean, no, what a, thank you. you're a lovely person. This is an awesome conversation. I really appreciate it. Tell all the good people how they can contact you and and listen to more of your ideas and thoughts.
1: Absolutely. Please come follow me, social media on Instagram, TikTok at the.neurodiverse.teacher. You can also visit me at www.theneurodiverseteacher.com. I'd love to have anybody check me out. It's usually more rants of me just talking about my opinions and and my thought processes, but thanks so much for having me on. I, I truly appreciate it.
0: No problem. Thank you, everyone. Kristen, appreciate the time.
1: Thanks.